We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. TJ, man, I got a question for you. Shoot, what's up? What is the protocol in relation to the amount of sunscreen one needs to apply on our shaved heads during the summer? Uh, there's all, there's never enough. Uh, I think I've I think I've shared that story. I don't think I've shared it on the podcast. I knew that it was time to to shave my head the first time I went out in the summer years ago, and I took a shower. And like, could just feel my scalp like burning underneath the, you know, because my hair was just so thin. It's like, all right, it's time to go. So, yeah, summertime. It's serious. It's a serious matter now. Yeah, man. I uh, I don't know if our podcast uh, listeners know that um, I am the number one reason why you went with the look <laughs> that you have now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's fair. That's fair to say. That's fair to say. Man, that was a nerve-wracking few days there as you were working up enough courage to finally do it, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I had I had to grow. Funny thing, if you walk in my house right now, you'll see uh, pictures on the wall when Chloe and I got married, and I am, have this baby face and a full head of hair. And now a few years later, it's the exact opposite. But I had to grow the beard first and feel comfortable that I had enough uh, enough on the face. And then, you know, you talked me into it. Just knock it out, man. Just go for it. And yeah, yeah. Became You're a new welcome. man. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Chloe. Yeah, Chloe. <laughs> Chloe's the real winner there. Um, yeah. The the reason I ask is it's blazing hot here in Texas. Well, what's the temperature situation there? Man, Kentucky is. I don't know. We're in the 80s, but it's just so humid, man. It's just so brutal. Um, already starting. And what's worse, if you're watching on YouTube for our listeners who are uh, use that medium, my my AC in my office is just kind of schizophrenic right now. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm, I'm kind of getting an indicator on my on my wall reading over here that it's about to stop working. So uh, hopefully I'm not going to be pouring sweat here in half an hour uh, as yeah. we get going on this. So Yeah, you're well, you're not a big sweater, are you? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, no. no. It takes a lot to get me sweating. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, as we get rolling here, uh, we just want to give a shout out to um, all of our listeners, all of you guys that week in and week out uh, continue to download each and every episode, uh, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, uh, maybe you go and watch uh, the video recording on YouTube or any other podcast uh, platform. Man, we uh, appreciate you taking the time uh, to listen, and uh, we hope and pray that it is uh, beneficial and that it uh, continues to be uh, over the coming months. Yeah, um, we we didn't actually stop to make this shout out. We, we've been over 10,000 downloads from just the podcast side of things. We're up over 10,000 total views on YouTube and combined views. And uh, it's not about the numbers, right? It's not like, hey, look at how awesome this thing is. It's more so just an encouragement to us to know that we have these conversations and and people are, are enjoying and having a uh, at least benefiting in some sense of being able to think about things and have conversations about things. So we, man, the listeners make this whole experience possible, make the whole experience worthwhile. And so we always appreciate the feedback, the encouragement, sharing with other people. That's uh, that goes without saying, but it's sometimes it's worth just saying it itself. So uh, we do appreciate you guys, and um, and man, go ahead and go ahead and 
remind our listeners, maybe since this is fairly new development about kind of the, the, the best way that they can support us and, and show their love for the podcast? Yeah, you can do that uh, a couple of ways. Uh, one of those would be just to jump on social media, follow us, like us, uh, retweet us, um, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, that really just helps generate in all of the social media platform algorithms that just helps get the word out, um, get our episodes really in, in front of people's screens uh, that it normally may not uh, show up in. Um, secondly, we've got the Reformed Informant Shop where you can purchase uh, a couple different t-shirts, a couple different size mugs, a sweatshirt. Um, and again, in the coming weeks, we'll have a few more items uh, available. And a, a little caveat there, uh, the, the company that we're using um, has been greatly affected by COVID. So they're a couple weeks behind on orders. So we know that there have been a, a you know, half a dozen orders or so over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we're hoping those get there uh, sooner than later. And hey, and we're right there with you because we ordered t-shirts yeah. and sweatshirts and we're waiting on our own gear for our own podcast. So Right, right. Yeah, so check those things out. Share with other people. Uh, we, we would love that. And we're always uh, looking for ways to engage. Uh, we've done a book giveaway. We hope to be able to do the, those types of things in the future as well. And the more involvement, the more interaction we have, uh, the easier those things become. So yeah, huge shout out. Thank you guys for all uh, listening and, and, and engaging with us in that way. And we look forward to being able to do that in the days to come. Uh, but with that said, Lance, um, kind of had a little fun intro, a little, little back and forth there, but the, we, we do have a serious topic to discuss today. So we, we began last week, uh, just listened to it this morning. We're recording on Monday, usually gets released the week after. But I listened this morning, got excited all over again about the Christology study, getting into that study of Christ and building our systematic. But we, we mentioned last week, and you and I have been talking about this for a long time, uh, seemingly for a couple of weeks, but about responding just to the craziness of the world that we see right now. So could you kind of fill us in, tell us what we're doing with this episode and kind of why we're doing what we're doing? Yeah, this is uh, episode 44, and we've, we've titled this episode The Ungodly Promotion of Lawlessness and the Gospel of Hope. So the ungodly promotion of lawlessness, uh, the, the negative aspect of the events that have taken place over the last couple of weeks, and then uh, the positive, which would be the gospel of hope. So uh, we know that we're about to discuss a serious and uh, weighty matter, although you could argue we do that every episode, but there's some of those episodes where we turn the mics on and we hit record, and even in preparation, getting the guide set up and the video set up and whatnot, uh, sometimes it just feels like, this is going to be a different episode because of the, you know, the, the matter or, or the subject uh, that we're about to discuss. And this is one of those, this is one of those episodes. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to recognize off the top that this is not an exhaustive treatment of everything that's happened. Uh, I actually preached a sermon on this yesterday morning. The second half of our episode um, is kind of the outline of my sermon, but also I did a lot of the previous work as well, kind of prefacing that. Um, this is not just some um, 
This, one of the things I said in my sermon, it's the same thing I want to say here. This is not us trying to fix all the problems that we're facing. This is not like us launching our opinions into uh, this debate. You, we don't need more voices talking about those those things. But uh, we're our aim here is to just allow the scripture to speak and to build uh, to to build a biblical lens by which to view the events. Right. So we're. Lance, tell me, tell me if I'm communicating this correctly, but we're essentially hoping to equip both ourselves and our listeners for how to view and how to think through uh, the events and any future events, um, whether they happen in June of 2020 or they happen in you know March of 2050. We're just trying to think through how we view and understand the hopelessness of the world and the hope of the gospel. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like uh, my wife, uh, Lindsay, and I, we have, um, over the last couple of months with COVID and then, of course, the George Floyd situation and the aftermath, I feel like every day we have constantly checked ourselves to make sure that we are consistently thinking and acting uh, in regards to these situations with a biblical worldview. Yeah. And really, that that is the goal of this episode, is to talk to our listeners, work through what the scripture says, and come out at the end of this episode with a transformed, renewed mind, as Paul often speaks of, in order for us to live a, a biblical worldview against so many other worldviews that continue to circulate during these times. Yeah, so I would say exactly what you just said and building off of that, we are not building a political lens. We're not building a uh, sociological lens. We're not building a racial lens. Like we are trying to build a biblical lens by which to view these things. So we're not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to uh, ask and answer every question that the culture is asking and answering. We are simply trying to provide a basis by which we would understand biblically. Uh, now, we know, uh, I, I don't know, by the way, how long this episode will end up being. This may be a lengthier episode because it requires some some intentionality and some effort and maybe a little bit more exhaustive treatment of some things. Uh, but we know there are other resources uh, that might be more specific to some of these situations. And uh, we've both benefited. We've listened to several uh, podcasts in preparation to this episode. But Lance, could you could you kind of hit us up with a, a few uh, resources or episodes that handle this issue specifically and kind of uh, coincide with what we're trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no particular order here. Uh, the Just Thinking podcast has a recent episode, uh, George Floyd and the Gospel, a Sword and the Trowel podcast, uh, Tom Askell's podcast, Founders Ministry. Uh, they have an episode, America Needs a Dad. I don't really like that title, to be honest. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> title aside, it, it's a good episode. Um, Apologia Studios with Jeff Durbin. Uh, I think they released one about a week and a half ago, and they've actually had subsequent episodes on uh, this particular issue. But the first one was, was George Floyd murdered? Um, TJ, you just listened to another one this morning. Yeah, I listened to uh, one with Nine Marks. Um, they're, they're pastoring, uh, Pastors Talk podcast. Um, it's normally Jonathan Lehman and Mark Dever. Mark Dever's actually on vacation, so they brought Garrett Kell in. Uh, but about 45 minutes, they discussed pastoring amidst national trauma. And so it was interesting to get a pastoral perspective, thinking through how as pastors we might respond to these things. Uh, but what was so encouraging to me was 
the constant reminder that even pastors have to think about this as Christians first. And so it was a really, really helpful uh, way to just think. And both of those guys are ministering in D.C., where you have like even heightened political um, tension and divide. And so it was very unique perspective there. They both mentioned uh, on repeat multiple times uh, a new podcast that had been put out by Kevin DeYoung. And so they referenced that. So that may be another helpful resource. So in other words, we know that the market's been flooded, so to speak, on this subject and this matter. Uh, But in some sense, we don't want to pretend like it's not there. We want to take the systematic theology that we've built and are building and try to allow um, Scripture to speak and to provide a way to answer these things. As we say every, every week, right, this is a podcast devoted to systematic theology, biblical exposition, and practical application. So we're thinking about how this system that we're building using biblical exposition can be applied to think. Um, so with that in mind, Lance, let's remind us, where are we going for these for this lens? Where are we going to build this, this understanding? Yeah, our, our only place in building any episode, but, and I don't want to argue even more so with this one, but I, I want to reiterate the fact that Scripture is our only standard. Scripture mm-hmm. is our only standard. In fact, I, I, I was thinking about this today, just as I was letting the episode guide kind of you know roll through my mind. I, I wouldn't even have anything to say, yeah, if if I didn't have Scripture. And in other words, it would be pointless for me to plug in this mic and hit record if it was just me up here yapping. Yeah, I don't have any wisdom at all beyond what uh, the scripture says. Man, that's I'm I'm so thankful that you brought that up. And I said the exact same thing in my sermon. I said I don't have a license as a preacher of the gospel, as a preacher of the word, to say anything else. And I don't I don't feel comfortable using the platform of a pulpit, or in this case, the platform of a podcast microphone, to trumpet my beliefs or to trumpet my opinions about certain things. We are trying to be as objective as possible in this. So if you're looking for specific answers to how to respond uh, to with great specificity to how to fix the... I, I, I'm not the guy to ask, right? Like I'm just trying to look at things uh, through biblical lens, uh, and I think that that's really helpful. So uh, with that in mind, man, where, where do you want to go? Where, how do how do we want to start this process? Yeah, so this episode is going to be broken up into two parts. Um, the first part, we're going to look at the law of God as revealed uh, in the scripture, uh, mainly the Old Testament. Um, and we want to lay a foundation for God's objective law, uh, the law that we would call uh, uh, really a reflection of him, who he is. It's his standard. It's his laws. It's his commands. It's his reality. Um, and, and then secondly, we're going to walk through uh, the gospel of hope and you're going to take us to the book of Romans and we're going to conclude um, the, the episode with really the solution, uh, not in terms of fixing all of life's problems in these particular circumstances, but uh, the really the um, salvation that we find in Christ, who is the remedy for those who are sick. And, and that would be every single center. Um, so we're going to begin here uh, building a case for God's law in the Old Testament, um, specifically his law revealed um, in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's really where we're going to kind of zone in here. 
um, for, for, the, for the next few minutes. Um, TJ, do you have something to add there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before, before, you, before you begin that process, I think it's just helpful to remind the, the listeners, thinking through a biblical narrative, right? You've got creation account, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, things are good. Genesis 3, you have the fall. Right, that's when Adam and Eve they they rebel, and then you watch lawlessness just take hold, and you see this from Genesis three through Genesis eleven. You just see this incredible uh, cycle of just sin, right? That just just continually compounds and becomes worse and worse. And we have all the way from Cain and Abel. Uh, you have Abel's blood crying out to God, right? It, it cries out to from the ground um, because sin has happened. You have Lamech. You've got uh, all the way up to the Tower of Babel, which is like this, the height of rebellion. And then you've got, you have the flood, of course, that happens in, the, in there. Uh, but then you've got Abraham and God calls. He creates a covenant people with Israel and he's forming his people. Um, we don't really know exactly what God's up to. He makes this promise with Abraham, but we don't really understand everything yet. You get to the end of Genesis and then, to, and then you have a 400 year gap and then you're in, in Exodus. So the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus Moses now is called by God to lead God's people out of captivity. God pronounces his, uh, in those plagues, he pronounces his, his uh, dominion over the gods of Egypt and shows his power, and he takes them out, and he's taking them to the land that he promised for Abraham. And when he does that, that's when we have the revelation of the law. It happens at Sinai. Uh, they're going to enter into the promised land. And that's what you see from Exodus 19 all the way through the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34. You see a, a the gift of God's law in fulfilling a promise that he's made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. So I think that's important just to know that this is not just a big stack of, it's not a big rule book, right? That's like <laughs> stapled at the front of the Bible. Like this was, this was a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to Abraham. And these were his, this was his holy and good, perfect law for the nation of Israel in the promised land. So I think that's really important for us to understand that this is not a, hey, Israel, you got stuck with the law. This is a <laughs> gift. It's a good thing. And so I just think it's important for us to, to think through that. So with that said, now you take, you take us through uh, kind of how you wanted to outline this. You see, that's why when we were at the coffee shop, man, I had to hire TJ on the spot. That, that's, that stuff's not even on the guide. That's not even scripted. Man, that was just beautiful context leading up to the verse that I had here on the guide. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6 reads, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So you've got God here, uh, of course, speaking to Moses. And as TJ explained, on Mount Sinai, this is where God is unfolding his law. And he's going to unfold and reveal his law to Moses. And then Moses is going to bring it to uh, the people. But as TJ had noted here, God is calling a people, calling a nation to himself. And he's going to lay out this law not to restrict um, not to restrict people from doing things as far as follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, or in anything of that particular nature, but he's going to call this people to himself, and he's going to set this nation apart. So he's going to lay out laws 
that will set this nation apart from every other nation on on, on the face of the earth. TJ, you want yeah. to add anything to that? No, that's that's really good. It's it's you you kept saying set apart, set apart, and that's that's so critical for us to understand because it's God's holy law, right? Like that's what it means to be holy, and God is set apart, and He tells uh, we're going to see in the New Testament, be holy as I am holy. Well, in the same way, the Old Testament, uh, which we we find later in progressive revelation, what the law was doing, right? We understand that the law. Um, was meant to point to Christ, and Christ is going to fulfill the law. We'll get to that, but in the in the uh, in the revelation of the law, when when Moses comes down and he has the tablets, and we see the unfolding of this law that's been given, and the exposition of the law that happens there in the oral form, we are seeing the perfections of God on display. God is saying, in order to commune with me, there is a guideline. There is There are restrictions. This is not just uh, haphazard. God is not randomly selecting things out of the air. Uh, this is for fellowship and for right relationship with God. And so this is, this is a good thing. And so if Israel is to abide and to uh, obey and, and trust in God in this process and follow this law, things will be well with them, not because God's going to pat them on the back and say, good job, you did what I said, but because it allows fellowship, right? It allows them to be uh, in good standing and right standing with a holy God. Um, and I think that's really important for us to recognize. Yeah, absolutely. Let me run through uh, quickly here, uh, some purposes behind the law of God. First off, the law of God was given to put God's perfections on display. We said this over and over on the podcast, at least in relation to Scripture, is that Scripture is the reflection of God's character. God's law is also a reflection of His character. Secondly, uh, the law was given to guide His people to maturity in faith. Again, the law wasn't meant to push people away uh, from God. The, the law was put there in order to bring people to maturity in faith. Uh, thirdly, uh, the, the law was given as evidence that the people of God were really the mm. people of God. Again, this wasn't a negative implementation. In fact, the exact opposite. God gives his law to prove and to show his love for the people that he has called. And as TJ mentioned, throughout Progressive Revelation, you see this explained more in first john chapter 1 verse 3 for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome that's actually first john chapter 1 or first john 5 i think 5 3 is the reference there first john 5 3 um another thing that the law provides it provides a, a way to commune with god that also provides worship and means of purification or purity and then really the heart of what we're getting to in this episode is that the law of God provides necessary responses to sin and crimes. Why is that why is that so significant? So so when we've got we've got the law, most of the time when people think about the law, right, they think of do's and don'ts, mainly the don'ts. That's usually what people think of. They think thou shalt not, um, which is uh prevalent, certainly present there in the Old Testament law, but there's also included in God's law, there are those responses, there are those provisions, there are those instructions in response to crime and sin. Why is that significant and why are we spending the time discussing that application? 
Yeah, because really I can think of uh, three things. God is concerned about his own glory. So anything that is in directly opposite in opposition to him is an issue to God, mm-hmm. is a problem to God. Secondly, uh, God is concerned about human life. You, know, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and as you said last episode, TJ, that humanity is the it's the crown jewel of God's mm-hmm. creation. Human life is absolutely important to God. And then thirdly, uh, alongside this, is that the family, the family, yeah. husband and wife, children, the family is um, is extremely important to God. Yeah. So you, what you see there is you see a, a society, right? Like God is setting up a, a people and this society is structured around those good things of God, right? Which includes holy living. It includes a value and a sanctity of life and includes a promotion of a God ordained and God centered family unit. And so when you have violations of those things, God is concerned about his glory, but he's also concerned about his creation. And so those things are meant not only as a deterrent, but also as a way to demonstrate, right, that the sinful acts must be accounted for. This is not something that can just be wiped away or ignored. We can't just pretend like, oh, well, they didn't mean to or whatever. Well, maybe that we'll just let that one slide. That's not how God's holiness, it doesn't operate that way. And so these these punishments and responses are, they're, it's a good thing. We've talked about this with Romans 13. It's a good thing to deter sin, to say, you don't want to go down that road because look what happens if you do. But also we need to recognize that when sin does happen, that there are consequences and God's law has that built in. Uh, so that's right. important for us. Yeah, that man, that's great. Um, Alan P. Ross uh, Hebrew scholar, uh, he has said, and this is in regards to Leviticus chapter 20, he, he says, Alan P. Ross says, the moral standards that this chapter preserves remain applicable to this day. And here, here's why. Because they deal with the violations of God's created order. So mm-hmm. as, as we've discussed here, when God's glory is attacked, when his holiness is attacked, when uh, human lives are attacked, the sanctity of life is attacked, or the promotion of the family is attacked. God has laid out stipulations. He's laid out consequences for attacking those three areas of uh, what he has created, right? His created order. That's so good. I didn't even see that on the God. That was just so awesome. <laughs> um, I had no idea that was even coming. That was, man, that was good. I was. I wish I could that. say that was unscripted, but well, you know. that that part was. I was not ready for that quote, uh, but that's that's dead on, and I think that's just we've we've got to understand and have a right thinking about the law, and I think that's really important uh, in, in establishing kind of the the foundation. Uh, for this episode. So with that in mind, where do we go next? We understand what the law is. We understand a little bit about the purpose of the law. Uh, Now, how do we navigate next steps in building this biblical lens? Yeah. So the next component we're moving into is uh, the purpose of the law, specifically uh, regarding the purpose of punishment. Why punishment? You know, why why of all things, if we're reading through uh, the first five books of scripture, why, why do we see God laying out punishment? I mean, it sounds, uh, on the one sense, at least if you were to poll our culture, punishment is like the worst thing that you could ever do uh, to, to a human being, mainly because that atheistic, humanistic worldview doesn't 
have anywhere in their thinking this idea of law breaking and punishing for breaking laws. Right, right. So you're looking at, you're thinking Deuteronomy 19, right? Like you've got several verses there. I don't know if you want to read those, but... Um, no, you, you highlighted it. Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 21. I think for sake of time, uh, we won't read through that, that entire section, uh, but that section is basically laying out what it looks like when someone commits a crime, getting evidence about the person that committed the crime, mm-hmm. um, what happens with false testimony. You can see that down in verse 18. Um, and then really the reason behind punishing someone that breaks laws. Uh, mm-hmm. Verses 19, 20, and 21, it, it talks about purging evil or controlling evil. So yeah, we're not going to read the whole passage here, but uh, make sure you go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 through 21, and you'll see it, it, it's some sort of a template for what God requires to convict someone of a crime and then the purpose behind doing this. Yeah, so to summarize then, just to kind of to give some bullet point purposes for punishment, we've already highlighted a little bit of that, but Number one, to we're going to see a penalty for an an offense, right? Like there's there must be um, a corresponding penalty that lines up with the offense. A good example of that is is the Noahic covenant back in Genesis chapter nine, right? When 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 Noah comes off the ark and God gives the he renews the covenant that he had made with Adam and he gives it to Noah. And then he says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. In other words, life, if you take life, you give your own. Like that's how, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Uh, those things are lined up so that the punishment fits the crime. Uh, so the the penalty must fit the offense. Uh, secondly, yeah. you've already mentioned. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you went back to Genesis chapter nine there and, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which is also found, I think, about three times uh, in, in the law, um, dealing with punishment fit, fitting the crime. Um, look again, again, the idea behind that is, if we were to throw that in here into 2020, look, if I run through a, a stop sign, or you know, I'm driving around with no seatbelt on, something of that nature, I'm not just thrown on you know, the death penalty, death row one week later. Look, even societies around the world understand that. Um, And that's not shocking that there's a foundation for that type of treatment uh, in in terms of um, breaking laws and then uh, receiving the penalty or the punishment. This is God's law. This is God's standard. Um, Right. Yeah, go ahead. And that's that's well, that's not to minimize. I'm glad you brought that up, but that's not to minimize those violations as trivial. It's still a violation. It right. still requires restitution. However, the reason why it doesn't have the same level uh, of of punishment is because of what we mentioned earlier, right? The violation of God's holiness, uh, the the sanct- uh, removal of the sanctity of human life, um, or just a a complete neglect for the family. And so when you have violations in those areas, the punishment is stricter because the value on those is higher. Um, like you said, if you run through a stop sign, that is not the same as you walking out and killing someone in cold blood. Both of those are violations of the law. Both of them deserve to be punished, but the level of punishment differs. And we don't have time to get into this now, but you could even 
demonstrate from scripture that there will be uh, stricter punishment for certain people eternally based on biblical passages that speak to this end. So this is this is part of God's nature and it's the part of the way that God uh, punishes and responds to sin. So that's important to remember. So not only do we have to have a punishment that fits the crime, but we also want to, in God's law here, uh, the, the purpose is that it might purge or remove evil. Uh, that's so significant, uh, not only as a deterrent for others of committing the crime, but also to remove those um, or to punish those who have committed the crime uh, so that it has been paid for and that evil will no longer be present in that society. Uh, what, what, what else comes to mind? Yeah, that's good. We, we want to deter others from committing crimes. We, God is commanding to purge evil, and he's doing so because he, he wants people to be afraid of committing evil acts. If you go mm-hmm. right back up, to Deuteronomy chapter 19, and you go to verse 20, the rest will hear, this is after someone has been convicted of a crime, the rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. So again, God's not only wanting um, the criminal to receive a just punishment, but he's also wanting to use this punishment in in the face, I guess you could say, or in the eyes of the uh, surrounding people Hey, look, if you do and commit that crime, this is what will happen to you also. Right, right. That's, yeah, exactly right. Um, in in addition to that, punishment for crime also allows a criminal to pay that penalty to serve that time and then to make amends once that time is served. And we see a little bit more of that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, a little bit more developed in the law. But essentially uh, what we see there is we see Punishment fits the crime, uh, but we also see a an opportunity for reconciliation, for restitution, for uh, reintegration uh, into society, right? So uh, you roll through that stop sign, you pay your fine. That doesn't mean you can never drive a car again, right? <laughs> it just means, hey, listen, you've, you've learned your lesson. Now, if you continue to violate, the punishment will continue to escalate. Um, and because you begin, you begin to become a, a harm or a detriment to society. And so that's essentially what we need to recognize from God's laws. It's for the good of the people um, in promoting uh, safety, uh, in promoting uh, holiness and promoting godliness amongst the people of God to protect the family, to protect life, and to protect God's glory. Yeah, man, that's good. That leads us into uh, the next component of this uh, discussion on punishment, different types of punishment, different types. Now, you've already alluded to this, TJ. You've already alluded to the fact that not every crime receives the same punishment, okay? Again, mm-hmm. we see that in our society here. I think to one degree or another, everybody that's probably listening has, has seen right. this. Right. Um, but even the I old mean, testament. I mean, we would even we would even see this in our own families, right? Like growing up, if you if you do if you make a mistake in your household, like certain things are not going to require the same parental uh, punishment as as other things, right? Like that's just that's just ingrained in, in, in understanding how punishment fits crimes. But go ahead. Not, not speaking of punishment in the homes, what were you like as a kid? <laughs> oh man, I was, I was, I was so scared to violate anything. I was, mm-hmm. I had never crossed any lines 
be, and, and honestly, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, <laughs> but, but honestly, that was a, that was a real detriment to my spiritual health for a long time, uh, okay. because I didn't understand, I didn't understand law and gospel the way Luther did, but that's, again, that's, a, that's a separate discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, so back, back to the, back to the guide here, look in the old Testament, again, uh, there are, uh, different punishments for different crimes. For example, uh, you've got the death penalty. You've got the death penalty that is laid out for multiple different crimes. And again, these are the ones that specifically rate to uh, relate to uh, sinning against human life, uh, attacking the holiness and the glory of God, and, and also the family. Again, I, I want to emphasize how important the family is to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, these crimes that revolve or involve the the death penalty as uh, punishment, you, according to Deuteronomy nineteen uh, verse fifteen, you have to have at least two witnesses. You have to have at least two witnesses. So if there's only one witness to this, you've got a major problem in terms of bringing evidence to the table. Uh, for thirty seconds or less, why is that important, Lance? Well. Even back up in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 19, the idea of having multiple witnesses is that you've got people that are bringing honest and truthful testimony. Uh, You know, if it was only one quote unquote witness and they bring false testimony against that particular person, well, (laughs) you know, that that presents all types of problems. That's why, by the way, in the passage that we've mentioned uh, a few times here in Deuteronomy chapter 19, if you bring false witness, Whatever the punishment is for that crime that you bring false witness against, you now get that punishment. And, and that man, isn't God good in how He does this uh, right, to protect? So, honestly, to protect the innocent. Dude, right? that's think, crazy. That's awesome. Think about that. If you are innocent and you've been falsely accused, now our justice system is not perfect in this, but it's supposed to be designed in a way so that the innocent remain innocent and aren't punished. And that's what God's law is designed to do. It's those who are innocent are no longer or are not going to be required to pay a penalty that 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 they don't deserve. And so this is this is justice. I think it's uh, just an incredible display of God promoting justice within a society to say, you can't just show up and say, I don't like this person. I can't just say, <laughs> hey, Lance ticked me off the other day because he cut me off on the podcast when I was making a good point. You know what? I'm going to say boom, 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 and he needs to be uh, punished for that. Like I don't have the, the ability to single-handedly uh, cause detriment. There needs to be witness. And if it proves false, as you mentioned, now I'm subject to the pe- to the penalty that I was bringing forth uh, for the crime that I suggested. So I just think that's important to recognize that this is a holy and good law. Sorry, keep going. No, I know I'm no, going off script, no. but this is... No, we need it. We need it. That's good. Now I'm going to give you just a minute or so to think about why we've got the death penalty for some of these crimes here in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament. I'm going to swing that back to you after I mention some of them, okay? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so uh, death penalty in the Old Testament for murder, kidnapping, persistent disobedience to authorities and parents, adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, false prophecy, profaning the Sabbath, blasphemy, idolatry, and magic and divination. Okay, so according to to God's law, committing any of those crimes is worthy of death. 
okay, is, is, is worthy of death. Now, I, I know if you're hitting rewind here and you're going back through that list, some of those that I read off, it's like, whoa, are you kidding me? Persistent disobedience to parents, um, profaning the Sabbath. Um, I mean, that, that seems pretty extreme. Well, again, we talked about God, the sanctity of life, and family. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the, yes. In one way or another, those are all drawn back to those three principles. So, TJ, I'm kicking it to you. Yeah. So, no, that's you. You already you already answered the question for the most part there. To just to say that those are the those sins in particular have violated them one way or another. Or another, those three principle, those three primary principles that we looked at earlier, right? The holiness and uh, glory of God, the uh, sanctity of human life, and the family. Uh, but in addition to this, we also have to remember that God in this state of, in this uh, part of the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, he is establishing what is known as a theocracy, right? Israel are his people and he is their God and their king. They don't have a king yet. That comes later in First Samuel when the people reject God as their king. So God is establishing himself as a king over his people and he is establishing in his law, it is designed so that they might be a holy nation. So when you have evil of this kind, when you have sin of this kind, he must purge it completely and remove it so that uh, as these things are removed, then that sin is cut out. It's like cancer, right? Like you got to get rid of it completely. It's going to spread. And so these uh, sins demonstrate a violation of God's holiness to the degree which they must be removed in order for his holiness as a nation, the nation of Israel, to to remain his people. Um, Anything you'd add to that? No, I, I can't even begin to add to that. And the reason I asked you, because I think you had mentioned uh, uh, the theocracy that was taking place here uh, on a social media post uh, mm-hmm. a couple days ago. So mm-hmm. uh, I knew that you could answer that because you had already done that on social media. Uh, now, moving on here to um, other types of punishment we see in the Old Testament. We're just going to get through these quick. You see what's called cutting off, where people would sometimes be removed from fellowship for a certain amount of time or a limited amount of time. You also see restitution. TJ, you mentioned that earlier, um, where where the criminal had to restore what was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to Leviticus chapter 5, verse 24, um, they would have to pay everything back plus one-fifth. Okay, so if you committed a crime, uh, you had what was called um, basically uh, a full payback with an additional uh, one-fifth. I think that's Leviticus 5.24, if I put that reference down um, correctly. Now, before we move on to the next point here, I want to quote from Alan P. Ross again. And and this is what we're really getting at when we're talking about God's law, uh, God's standards, uh, God's law in terms of consequences for breaking his laws and those particular things. Alan P. Ross says, God's legislation against sin and corruption presupposes that he is the moral, ethical, and righteous lawgiver. That's, that's, that's really, say that again. Alan P. Ross says, God's legislation against sin and corruption presupposes that he is the moral, ethical, and righteous lawgiver. So in other words, because we see this 
perfect law, this, uh, this design in this law for this people of God, we see God organizing this law in, in, in a certain manner. And underneath of it all, driving the whole thing is a recognition that God is perfect and he's righteous. And that because God is perfect and righteous, the law itself comes as a reflection of that. And so we see a perfect morality, a perfect ethic, a perfect righteousness demonstrated in the law because the source of the law is God himself. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and that really gets us into the heart of this first part of our episode, the ungodly promotion of lawlessness. Okay, so when we're talking about lawlessness, yes, we are talking about breaking man's laws in terms of the law of the land, but even more so we're talking about man breaking God's law, man yep. breaking God's law. That's that, that, that is the heart of the issue. And not only are we talking about man breaking God's law, but we're also talking about man approving of breaking God's law. In other words, man is promoting to go out and break laws. Yes. Okay. And having a complete, utter disregard for authority. So verses that come to mind would be Romans chapter 1, verse 32, when Paul condemns those who approve of sinful activity and those who approve of lawlessness. In other words, you may not be out committing lawlessness, but if you're approving sin and lawlessness, you're just as guilty. Mm-hmm. And would you could even argue if you are complicit, right? Like if you're like apathetic, right? Like it uh, doesn't really bother me one way or the other. Then in in that sense, because you're not willing to call it lawlessness, because you're not willing to say it's sinful, you in that sense approve it. Uh, if we were to say that we think it's absolutely atrocious that abortion is occurring in our country, um, that's one way of saying hey, we, we reject that, that people are breaking God's law. But if we say, you know what? I think it's good that people are getting an abortion. I think that's a good thing. We are celebrating and approving what God has already said is not okay. And if, we are, if we're apathetic towards it to where we don't care, in that sense, we are approving. Does that make sense? Is that, is that accurate? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And really the last point that we need to make here before we get into really the chronology or the timeline of events that have unfolded is that everyone at this point for the most part is doing what is right in their own eyes judges 17 6 in other words god's law doesn't matter law of Mm -hmm. the land doesn't matter here's how i feel about the situation and i'm going to do whatever i want to do regardless of what the law of the land says or god's law says yeah, and we would say, we've already argued about this, right? Or not argued about it, argued for this in in uh, Romans chapter 13, that, that the law of the land serves as an extension of God's law, even if, listen, even if that law is not something that we personally agree with, or maybe maybe it's not something that is, is uh, defined biblically, but if the law of the land says you can only go 70 miles an hour, Scripture doesn't speak about speed limits. But the law of the land does, and that's an extension of God's law. So any violation of any sort, unless it is, as we've talked before about those exceptions, uh, is it a violation of an extension of God's authority for Romans 13? So we see a disregard for 
civil authority, but also for godly authority. We see the approval uh, of others breaking God's law and civil laws, and we see the breaking and and, uh, violation of God's and civil laws as well. So we see all of this kind of percolating in our society. And I think I'm accurate. I'm representing both of us here when I say that that is heartbreaking. It is hard. It is hard to watch, man. It's hard to demonstrate. And and by the way, this is not, I want to be clear for, and I'll speak for us both here. I want to be clear that this is not us uh, trying to, to identify and point like who, who's, who's guiltier and who's more like, we're just talking broad strokes, what we've watched in our society over the past couple of weeks. And even stemming, we would say previously, we, you see this all the time, but it's just heightened right now. And we've seen this in so many ways. So pick, pick whatever you want to insert in, uh, whether that's, I I don't even want to give the examples, but what we're watching in all kinds of varieties is a, is a disregard for God's law, a celebration for breaking of God's law, and a disrespect or disregarding of civil authorities, uh, which serve as an extension of God's authority. So it's heartbreaking, man. It's hard to watch. That's You and I have, have had this conversation, and that's why this episode feels so weighty, is because it's a burden, man. Like, like I got I got real emotional yesterday when I was preaching. Much I had much more higher highs and much more lower lows uh, yesterday in my sermon because this is so emotionally tr- charged because God's law is, is, is in play here. Right. Man, I appreciate you saying all that, TJ. That, I mean, that, 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 is, that is spot on. This isn't us sitting on social media and pointing the finger at others, right. man. This is hearts hurting over uh, the lawlessness and the hurt lives. And I mean, you could really make a long list of the amount of people that are affected by it. And um, we want to be compassionate and, uh, you know, full of grace and love in in this particular situation as well. Um, And you just articulated uh, that well. I need to go back and listen to that sermon. Now that we're meeting on church campus again, I can't I can't stream your Facebook uh, your Facebook stream of your sermons, but I'm, I'm about to kick the episode back over to you because we're, we're at the midpoint in the episode. So now we want to talk chronology of events. So we've laid a framework and a groundwork for God's holy, perfect, righteous, objective law. And now TJ, and I know you've done some work on this in the blog that you just released a, a few days ago, but I want you to give us really a, a chronology of events. Um, leading up to the death of George Floyd. And as you work through that chronology, um, we're just going to stop, assess that situation from the objective standard of God's law, and, right. then, and then we'll move on to the next uh, uh, the next uh, point in, in the narrative. And what you're going to see, and this is somewhat of a preview, is you're going to see that God's law is consistent throughout all of the lawlessness and the ungodly behavior that's taking place. So I'm going to give it back to you, TJ. Yeah, man. Um, we'll, we'll road through this and I know we're, we're getting along here in the episode, but that's, that's, that's okay. That's just the, the necessity of this thing. Um, so, I don't. I, I. I sure hope that I'm not breaking news to anybody listening to this podcast with this thing. Uh, but I. I did write a uh, a blog post called "When the World Goes Crazy." Kind of used this same premise in the introduction to my sermon, uh, where I talked about how 
COVID and all the things that happened back in March kind of set the stage for this cataclysmic event that occurred uh, two weeks ago today from the time we were recording. So we're recording Monday, May 8th. Uh, on Memorial Day, Monday, May 25th, uh, George Floyd, Minneapolis, Minnesota, goes and purchases a pack of cigarettes, goes into a local store. And when he did that, he paid with a $20 bill and uh, the uh, store owner thought, and I don't know the details on this, but he, he suspected that this was a counterfeit $20 bill, right? So he called police. Any, any comment there maybe on where we're at at this stage in the story? No, you're good. That's right. Okay. You're good. Yep. Okay, so so he he calls a a uh, the police and 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 wants them to to look into this and uh, a few minutes go by and from what the reports and and surveillance video show uh, he is complicit like he is not resisting officers from what we've seen in the video uh, I don't know if any reports have come out but from what I've seen there was no physical resistance um, but was excessively treated maliciously treated um by a police officer in particular by the name of Derek Chauvin um who pinned him to the ground handcuffed him put his hands behind his back and um as you know had his knee pinned to his neck um 8 minutes and 46 seconds i believe uh eventually choked him out and took his life um and so an image bearer of god who by all accounts in this scene had not rebelled or had not resisted or had not shown any type of demonstrable uh, danger in the moment, uh, lost his life um, because of uh, the actions of, of a police officer um, who happened to have different color skin, um, as we've seen. And so any, 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 any comments there? No, yeah, you're you're right okay. on. Okay, okay. So, so we've seen this activity. Well, then, um, our society, I think, rightly cried out for justice. Right, like there's the thumbprint, uh, thumbprint of the image of God says, "Hey, that's not right." And so our society says, "Hey, this is this has to be fixed. There has to be something made right here." And so there was there was a cry that says, "Hey, this officer and the others who were there need to be arrested. They need to be prosecuted because that was negligent at best, but potentially just cold blooded murder." Um, and I don't know where it falls on the scale. You know, we'll, we'll see what it hasn't been fully adjudicated yet. But it was it was not it was it it, it was not good. It was it was hard to watch. It was hard to to see. And, um, and so what we saw was a society that cried out, um, for justice. And so there began to be some protests. There began to be some riots. Um, well, let me say this. There began to be some protests, which some of them turned South quickly. What happened when that happened? Yeah, man, the peaceful protest, which again, uh, there isn't anything wrong with a peaceful Nonviolent protest, um, especially over. especially in our country, right? Like we have that the Bill of Rights, man. Like we have the right to peaceably protest. That's a beautiful thing about being in our nation. Yeah, we've talked about the law of the land. According to our law, you can protest, and that 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 is perfectly fine if that is your heart's desire and your conviction and conscience allows you. Uh, to go protest, but when that protest turns into an unlawful 
law breaking situation, then it's clearly lawlessness, right? Clearly lawlessness. So then it moves out of the category of, look, we want justice to be served. Uh, we want to do this by the laws that have been laid out in our country. We want to voice um, our hearts and our emotions on the situation. It moves out of that category into the category of lawlessness, which is what we've been building up to in this episode. Right. And that lawlessness included, um, man, it included looting, stealing uh, of from small businesses to large corporations. It included vandalism, destruction, arson. Uh, some of the videos look surreal, man, like to think that that's happening in our world nation. It looks like a, uh, some kind of sci-fi movie introduction of, of what we've seen in American cities. Uh, it included uh, just violent demonstrations, including um, a lot of, of injuries and even death of others who were um, involved in these things. Some of them uh, innocent victims, some of them getting what kind of they instigated. Um, we've seen police officers and law enforcement and other personnel that have been completely just berated and abused and um, some just and, and then you've seen some of those police officers and law enforcement that have responded uh, with with uh, intense um, I would say perhaps even uh, borderline over the top reactions, but there's there's high levels of tension and and just civil unrest, which is what we've seen. We've seen just chaos and complete disregard. I mean, complete disregard for civil authorities and in every in every sense of the term. Um, and then what I think what you and I and watching all this unfold, I think what you and I have been the most maybe surprised about. Um, I don't know if maybe we've been the most disappointed because the whole thing has just been tragic, but I've been so surprised to see how many people, including believers, those who are in Christ, who have lauded these things, who have said, yeah, that's what they should be doing. That's what people should be doing. And there's been a celebration of this activity to say, that's what we need to do in order to instigate change, or that's what needs to happen. That's what they had coming to them. Um, and so we see not only a, a lawlessness that initiated this whole thing and a lawlessness that has been spiraling and, and intensifying into all these major metropolitan areas, but now we see the lawlessness of approving lawlessness and, 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 and encouraging and promoting and continuing uh, this chaos and this disorder. And when you look at, that's what we see is disorder. We see chaos and that is an antithetical to God's creation, right? Like God is a God of order. He's a God of peace. He's a God of, of perfection. And so we see all of these things that are anti-God and it is hard, hard to watch. And Lance, you and I, what, what would you add to that before we, before we transition maybe into the last segment of this? Man, the, the, those thoughts are so good. I'm so glad uh, that you're, you're sharing those uh, in, in a clear manner that, that just makes perfect sense in terms of how to look at the situation biblically um, and, and how to create that biblical worldview and how to actually live it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just lip service for the podcast episode, but like mm -hmm. when you stop recording, put up the mic and you go home, like that, that's a biblical worldview. Uh, not just for rec recording purposes. Yeah, I would just go back to the chronology that you put together. And, and if we walk through that, 
uh, in terms of what should be the punishment based on God's law, uh, again, you mm-hmm. see consistency. So even if the $20 bill was counterfeit and um, that, that was used, um, does God's law require using a counterfeit bill that leads to the termination of that life, death? Right. Does God's right? So we, we would say, no, it, right. it, 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 it would not. So then you move to the next... Uh, which we don't e- even we don't even know if that was at least I don't know if that was in fact yeah. a counterfeit but but right but but the point stands either way right like sure no matter what the point is that if even if and, and regardless we should also acknowledge that George Floyd just like all of us has sinned right, right. he's not he's not a a perfect he was not a perfect human being so there there was lawlessness there in some regard but certainly certainly the punishment and the treatment did not fit with right. the with the activity that we saw it just did sure. not fit so yeah yeah absolutely it did it did not fit it, it did not fit now uh, for Derek Chauvin on the other hand um who it seems based on all the evidence that the reason for George Floyd's death was because of the treatment that he received from the police officer, as you had uh, mentioned with his knee into his neck uh, for almost, you could say almost 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So going back to God's law in this situation, if you take a life, then your life should be taken, right? Uh, we're not talking about a lawless taking of his life, but through the system which God has ordained in Romans chapter 13. Okay. So the peaceful protest, um, you know, hopefully we're advocating for that type of punishment through, through the system that we have. Um, then what you went through next was uh, the peaceful protest. Again, we would say that those would be fine, biblically speaking, as long as they stayed in uh, the parameters of the law. Mm-hmm. But then when we get to the rioting and looting that you talked about, that is utter lawlessness. Mm-hmm. That is breaking of God's law. The, there isn't an if, and, or but when it comes to rioting or looting. Right. It is always against the law of God. It isn't, hey, such and such happened, therefore I'm going to act this way. Well, right. we, we don't see any of that type of behavior in the law of God. In fact, anything of that sort is condemned. Uh, by the law of God. We, we can't honestly say that something happened years or decades ago or centuries ago, and because of that, now I have the right to act lawlessness. Right. Uh, God's law yeah. doesn't allow for that inconsistency. Even if, and I've seen this argument, even if the, the ultimate ends of this lawlessness is supposedly good, it does not justify the means of the lawlessness to get there. Um, there are other channels by which that can be achieved. And so we would say, Romans chapter 12, right? Do not repay evil with evil. Like, do not do these sinful, evil, lawless acts in order— That's good. —in response to the sinful, evil, lawless act that we saw— and so we have to call both of them sin. We have to call both of them lawlessness and say, do not do those things. And I think this is where you're going next. Don't celebrate it. Don't right. approve it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I wanted to finish before we moved into the gospel of hope is not only do we have people personally guilty for lawlessness uh, based on that entire chronology of events, we have lawlessness everywhere. But mm-hmm. even those that are hanging out in the virtual world, those that are hanging out on the social media platforms, those that are 
for the most part, removed from the physicality of it all, are promoting more lawlessness. The only way that they're going to hear us is if you riot and loot, yada, yada, yada. It's a promotion, as we said, is condemned in Romans chapter one. Approving of lawlessness is guilty of lawlessness. Right. That's man. That's and that's I, you, you've already hinted at where I think we should go. And I know we're over. We, we've gone over what we normally allot for an episode, but I, I, we obviously we've done all this in order to get to this last part. And I, of course, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I don't think I am. The heart issue, the, the the primary problem that we see over and over and over again with all of this lawlessness, uh, with all of these violations of God's law, uh, from all the way from potentially using a counterfeit $20 bill to certainly using a, a complete disregard for human life that we've seen with, with the police officer there uh, and, and the others who are also complicit in that crime, not saying anything, not stopping them, hands in their pockets, whatever else, all the way up until what we've seen with looting and, and burning buildings and causing complete and utter chaos. At the heart of it all is the problem of the heart. Um, right. It is a heart of lawlessness. It's a heart of rebellion. It's a heart of sin. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and it was interesting hearing his perspective and discussing what the problem was. And it took us a little bit of an exchange. We were texting back and forth before he came to understand what my position was, and that is that whatever problems that we think we're seeing in society, they're only symptoms. The problem is sin. And if we don't diagnose the problem correctly, we can never get the solution right. Man, that, that's so good. That's so good. Well, before we move into the gospel of hope, let me uh, read this quote by Alan P. Ross again. Um, Those who rejected God's claims refused to honor him or rebelled against his law, had only his wrath to anticipate, for they opposed the righteous judge of the whole world. Look, there's a greater problem than the rioting and looting. There's a greater problem than murder. It's the fact that people have sinned against a holy God. And that really sets the stage, TJ, uh, for, for the hope that you brought your congregation uh, just this past weekend and this text from the book of Romans where you're presenting the gospel of hope. There's hope. Yeah. There's hope yeah, in a hopeless world, I think, is what you titled your sermon, right? Yeah, that's it. And and if you want to listen to that, uh, if you if you just go to our, our church website, if you'll go to um, www.centralbaptistparis.com, click the sermon tab, it'll be the most recent one. And it's from Romans 15, 13. So I'm not going to preach that sermon here. I'm not going to run through the whole thing, but I will just kind of hit the highlights uh, if you'll allow me to do that real quick, Lance. Um, I will. Thank I'll, you. I'll allow that on our Thank podcast. You. Thank you. Um, but essentially what I tried to do was set up the gospel by talking about the hopelessness of the world. And Paul speaks of hopelessness, uh, describes the world as hopeless uh, multiple times, especially in, in uh, Ephesians 2.12. He says that those who are separated from Christ, uh, even those who are in Christ now, when we were separated from Christ, that we had no hope, we were without God in the world. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he's encouraging believers uh, there, talking about those who have fallen asleep, you know, those who have died. And he says, we don't want you to be uninformed like the rest of the world who has no hope. Uh, and so in, in doing this, I, I tried to demonstrate that the world right now 
is hopeless uh, from a biblical standpoint because biblical hope is a confident expectation, right, of what God has yep. promised to do. So, so the world thinks they have hope for a change, but they don't know. There's no certainty. But biblical hope is it's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is there is a guarantee. Like our hope is in Christ. Like I don't wish and hope that Christ is coming again. My hope is in the fact that he will come again. And I know that. So with that in play, I, I looked at one verse. I just looked at Romans 15, 13, and there's a couple of observations um, that you're going to let me make. So I, th- I thanks for letting me do that. Um, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, by the way, this is the only time in scripture when God is described as the God of hope, hmm. but may hmm. the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So I made a couple of observations. Number one, God is the source of hope, right? Like he is the God of hope and he is the source of hope because of who he is. Uh, God gives us hope because he's immutable, he's wise, he's unchanging, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's self-sufficient, he's good, he's faithful, he's merciful, he's just, he's righteous, he's gracious, he's loving, he's glorious. Like he's he gives us hope because he's God, because he's in the heavens and he does what he pleases and he uses the earth as his footstool. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. hope in a being that has that uh rap sheet, right? Like when I look at God, I see power, control, goodness, uh, self-sufficiency. Like, like I can have confidence and hope because of who God is, but also because of what he's done. Like the gospel says that Jesus came to the earth, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, he came to earth, he fulfilled and lived the law that we failed to live, that Israel mm. failed to live. He, he lived that. Then he went to the cross for sinners like you and me, died in our place so that we he might take the wrath that we deserve and he might impute to us the righteousness that he earned in his perfect living. And not only did he do that, but he resurrected from the dead. And with that resurrection, we have hope because the God who defeated death is a God who keeps his promises. And, and all the prophecies of the Old Testament, they became fulfilled. They, he, he demonstrated his faithfulness. He demonstrated his power. He demonstrated his goodness. And so because of that, we have hope. So the source of hope is God. That's what I pulled from, from Romans 15, 13. May he fill you with all joy. So the, the recipients of hope are believers. I've already kind of talked about that, but the world is hopeless. And that's one of the things that I've really been convicted of is that, or really felt compre- impressed upon my soul is that, man, we're different from the world. The world is acting in crazy, chaotic fashion right now because they have no hope. Only we have hope. Only those who are in Christ have hope. First Peter 1, 3, right? Like when you've, God causes us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like that hope that we have comes from being found in Christ. And so that, that hope is real and it's legitimate, but it's it's only found for those who are in Christ. So I pleaded with those who are listening, repent, believe, trust in Christ, because without it, you can't know hope. Um, and then third, the third observation, the final observation that I made here, I thought this was really interesting. It says, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that, so he gives the purpose clause, right? So that the pow- by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. So Paul prays, that they would abound in hope, but he doesn't say, may the God of hope fill you with hope. He says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace 
as you believe so that you might abound in hope. So hope comes as a result of joy and peace. And so when we when we find our contentment and our joy in all of our circumstances because of who Christ is, and when we have that peace that surpasses all understanding, despite all the craziness around us, right? Like, so when we look at the world and we say, I have a joy in Christ, despite COVID, despite stay at home, despite uh, death around me, despite a society that's collapsing, I have joy and I have peace. That's where hope can start to abound. And so I, I just... I mean, I, I just feel so strongly that this hope that comes from the gospel is it's the authentic hope that can only come from Christ. And that's my plea uh, for somebody listening who maybe doesn't understand why the world is acting the way it does. The world's acting the way it does because the world doesn't have any hope. Um, only we do. Um, and you got to you got to take the mic from me. I'm, I'm about to I'm about to lose it over here. Dude, you're kicking it back to season one, man. We're going to have to raise up the pulpit. And mid studio here, yeah, you know, I, I think you're breaking a sweat. Yeah, I'm, we're, you know what? Ne- let's 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 end this. Let's wrap this up <laughs> next week. I'm gonna I'm just gonna record in the in in my sanctuary behind the pulpit. I just I just can't help it. No, man, I you know that this is this is a passion of both of ours. Um, and and this this what we're experiencing right now is so difficult to watch. And what what we're hoping to do, I, I just want to kind of wrap this up and then we'll hop into our initiative. Uh, but what we're hoping to do is demonstrate that the hope that comes in the gospel comes as a result or in response to the hopelessness that comes from lawlessness. So sin leads to hopelessness. Uh, whatever, however, whatever lens you want to use, sin is sin. Right. Like like using what the Bible says, we have to understand that all the things that we've watched unfold uh, over the course of the last two weeks and even uh, previous generations, what we've seen, we're seeing the result of some of that stuff. But it's sin. We've seen it's sin. Same thing I said in my sermon. It's sin to hate someone or to treat someone differently because they have a different skin color. It's sin to misuse and abuse power. It's sin to loot stores. It's sin to set buildings on fire. It's sin to pull down statues. Like that stuff is sinful activity. Um, but the response, the, the the true biblical response is to repent and to believe in Christ. And when you do that, you have a hope that the world doesn't understand and a hope that the world doesn't know. Uh, because man, one day God will do what's right. God will restore justice. He will restore peace. He will restore order to this creation. And he's going to do it um, in a way that is different from the the way in which the world is moving. So um, that's my heart. I hope that that's come through in our episode. I know it's been long, but thanks for sticking with us to this point. Lance, what do do we got for initiative, man? Wrap us up. Yeah, my my initiative, TJ, and thanks for for everything that, that you said there in terms of just presenting the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. Um, and, and I would just echo that for my initiative. Look, the greatest act of lawlessness in the history of the world was the murder of mm-hmm. the perfect sinless savior, Jesus Christ. So he could take all of our lawlessness upon him and impute his righteousness to those who repent and believe in him. Uh, my initiative for today is to, is to have hope in the gospel knowing that the gospel does save, but knowing that our hope is in Christ who will return, as you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, man, that's 
that's such a good word. Thank you for, man, thanks for all the work that you did in helping me think through this stuff. And the conversations we've had have been so helpful. And I would say for my initiative, I'm just going to echo that and just say, um, we, we must call sin what it is. Uh, and we must seek the remedy of, uh, for sin in the human heart. We've got to go to the heart. And the heart says, uh, the heart is desperately wicked, um, deceitful above all things. And so the only remedy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, our task as preachers of the word, as podcasters, as whatever you want to say that we're doing, we are not called to redeem and reform our culture and our world. That's not our task. Our task is to preach the gospel and to present the gospel clearly and to trust Christ and and to uh, recognize his sovereignty over this. And so uh, that hope that we have comes from a heart that's filled with peace and with joy and it flows out, man, to it so that we can have that hope. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore informants. And as always, you can find access to all of our episodes, links to all our social media platforms, and visit the Reformed Informants shop that we mentioned earlier at our website at www.themajestiesmen.com slash reformedinformants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.